0: Good morning. You know, I just love the fact that people commit to lead something like Royal Family Kids Camp or Kid Fest. You know, so many of you served. How many of you served in one of those two ministries? Were there or participated or helped? We had hundreds of our people doing this. But it's a pretty amazing thing when somebody says, I'll I'll be the person in charge. Um, Can you imagine? A little scary. So anyway, we appreciate them so much. Take your Bible now, would you, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 this morning. Uh, while you're turning there, you can look at your note sheet, too, if you would. Um, you have that. I want to give you a little update on our search for a new lead pastor. Um, this is actually Pete Amon's job to do that, and he'll say something in a week or two, I think. But I asked our elders on Tuesday night if I could say a word um, to you, because I think we're at a, a very crucial place right now, and I want you to be informed, as informed as we can Uh, inform you about what's happening. So um, I would like to ask you, if you would, to take a piece of paper or a note sheet and write down a note to yourself. If you're like me, uh, you've got to write a note to yourself to remind you about things, and I'm going to ask you to pray about two particular things. Um, For those of you who are new with us, we're in the middle of a transition period uh, where we're looking for a new lead pastor who's going to come in and, and stand in this place and preach and teach and lead the church into the next decade or two. And so we've been, we've opened this search probably six months ago, and the elders have been working really hard on this. I wanted to give you a brief update and to thank you for praying. And I want to ask you particularly, would you pray more now? Um, How many of you have been praying about this? Okay, how many of you have not prayed? Oh, never mind. Um, Would you please make a note to yourself to pray about this? Because we are in a place right now where we really need to discern God's clear leading. And we need to know what God wants to do about for what's best for the future of Cedar Mill Bible Church. I'm very encouraged to tell you, I'm delighted actually to tell you, that we have a candidate that we're really excited about. Um, we're still in the process, though, so I can't tell you very much. Um, my wife told me in the last service I said too much. Um, so... Don't tell her what I said. Okay, she's... Okay. So, anyway, um, but I just wanted to let you know that we do have somebody that we have been talking to. We've, we've met with him twice. Uh, we've spent hours and hours with him. The elders are... We think this is really a, a good fellow. Um, he's been here for interviews. He's going to come back again. Uh, we need to go there. We need to check references. So there's a lot more left to do. Um, so this is still on, like, the QT, quiet, right? But on the other hand... I want you to pray. So that's the main thing that you can do right now. We're going to bring him back, and we want him to meet as many of you as possible. Um, We're still not sure about all of how we're going to pull that off, but um, you can pray about that also. So more praying and more discerning is needed right now. Personally, I just want to say to you that I'm delighted with this guy. He is a godly young man. He's actually a year younger than I was when I came here, so he looks really young to me. (laughs) But... God has gifted him with an amazing discernment and ability and leadership skill. He's very much an extrovert. He's a lot of fun. Um, He loves the Word of God. He's a great Bible teacher. Uh, He loves the church. He loves the people from the young to the old. Uh, We think he has a lot of wisdom and discernment about leadership, and he's he's really gifted. Um, So if God works this out, it's going to be sweet. Um, And we still don't know, um, and maybe God has somebody else for us, so... I'm trying to be like nebulous, but clear. So does this make sense to you? So the main thing I want you to know is that we really need you to, to ask God. You, you have a vested interest in this. So I, I want you to, I want to ask you to, will you ask God to help us see his will? And then for whatever steps yet need to take place uh, that he would show the way. So that's the first thing I want to ask you to write down on a piece of paper. Did you do it? Pray for the search for the lead pastor. Particularly pray for our elders and then for other people. We want to get groups of women and other uh, ministry leaders together and and meet this fellow and figure out what the rest of the process is. That's prayer number one. Prayer number two is for us. When I say us, I mean Carolyn and me. Um, Can I just say one more time, uh, we are not retiring. I've had so many people come say I hear you're retiring. And I just want to say to you, we're not retiring. I wouldn't retire if I could, and I can't, so I won't, but I wouldn't anyway. Um, so we are making a transition into a new ministry. We have actually been accepted by a mission organization. Uh, we've applied and been accepted with Global Training Network. Uh, we're officially missionaries on their staff now, and we're yet to try to figure out how we're going to make this transition in terms of work and service and all that. But... Uh, I just wanted to just tell you, for those of you who may not know, um, deep in my heart is a, is a love for the local church. I mean, I've loved a local church for something like 40 years, and the last 25 I've loved this one. And I want to tell you that I'm delighted with the idea that God would use Carolyn and me to move into a ministry where we'd be able to impact several churches, or more than one. And that is going to happen primarily through a ministry to pastors. You know that a church, in a lot of ways, is a reflection of the pastor, right? we, both weaknesses and strengths. And around the world, the pastors are in, in great need. They're so largely untrained, un, unencouraged, and they're operating so many times alone, and they're facing all kinds of difficulties and struggles that, that another pastor really clearly understands And I want to tell you that I believe that God has called us to a ministry, a threefold one, where we're going to we're gonna move into trying to minister to encourage and train pastors, particularly in places around the world where they get like nothing at all. Um that is a just a great burden for me And, and the church is in desperate need of the pastors being helped personally, spiritually, family, home, holiness, morality, teaching the word of God, all the fundamental things that are crucial for a pastor. And then we want to try to do some of that here also. God is opening up some doors for us to invest in the life of younger preachers here. Particularly, I want to try to help some young guys teach the word of God and to love their people. Because anyway, And then the third thing is we want to teach the Bible somewhere. As long as I can, I want to do that. So that's that threefold ministry that we believe God's called us to. And we're trying to figure out and navigate where we are right now, what's best for the church, and we'll tell you more about that. So I'm asking you, will you pray also for us? Thank you. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, we are looking at verses 5 through 9, slaves and masters. Now you may be thinking, when you look at this particular place in the Word of God, well, slaves and masters, that doesn't have hardly anything to do with us. And I want to suggest to you that maybe it has more to do with you and me than we might think. When we look at these verses, and if you have your Bibles open, look at them. Verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, about Paul's word to slaves and masters. It raises some pretty serious questions for us about Particularly about the whole thing about slavery But it also raises some questions for us That are a little difficult to answer And it, and those questions push us deeper into some What I consider some of the fundamental Biblical God's truth that we really need So let's start off with, with this question Why doesn't Paul condemn slavery? You have ever asked that? Why doesn't the Bible really condemn slavery? Anybody, any of you ever been asked that? I've been asked that more than once, and particularly when it comes to Paul's words to slaves and masters. I, I, so let me try to answer this somewhat. One thing that I want to say to you is, is that in Bible times, slavery was so normal, so widespread, so accepted, it was not even questioned. And and their brand of slavery was not based upon race like slavery in America was, where we enslaved black people to serve. Their their whole economy, if you will, was built upon the idea that this country would conquer this country and they would kill a whole bunch of people and they would take a whole bunch of the rest of them away with them as slaves. And there began to be more and more and more slaves throughout the whole Mediterranean area in particular. Then when the Roman Empire began to rise, it conquered everybody and took millions of people as slaves. Uh, They they say that in in Rome there was something like, in Rome and in... In Greece and in Italy, there was something like 60 million slaves. One in every three people was a slave. Now think about this for a moment. So the whole economy and everything is based upon this thing of slavery. And people just didn't question it. If anybody questioned it, they they just wouldn't know on what basis you would even question. This is just, this is what happens. You get conquered, you become a slave. Too bad for you. Of course, we think about it and we think, this is horrible. And it was horrible. But but I want now I want you to think with me a little bit about this because there are reasons why the Word of God does certain things and reasons why the Word of God doesn't do certain things. And one of the reasons that Paul didn't condemn slavery when he be, first began to write to churches like Ephesus is that if he would have come out strongly that slavery is an evil that needs to be put away with, he would have been labeled immediately by the Roman Empire. They would have found him and crucified him. Because the whole idea of trying to get slaves to... Insurrect or to leave their masters would have been would have been this incredible rebellious, like being a traitor against the Roman Empire. All the Christians would have been sought out and killed, because it was just an unknown un. It was a concept that they couldn't even think about. So, so Paul just was committed not to stopping slavery he was committed to, to raising up a spiritual kingdom now think about this slavery is very much a physical kind of thing that has all kinds of spiritual implications but paul is committed to raising up a spiritual kingdom and you, and you have to think about paul now what was paul called to by god god called paul to be an ambassador to the gentiles to establish the church of jesus christ to focus on the gospel which is primarily something that happens from the inside out. People need to be transformed on the inside. And Paul was committed to try to enable people to live for Jesus Christ in whatever difficult circumstances they found themselves, whether they were slaves or free or, or whatever. And that has always been the message of the gospel, to enable God's people to live in the midst of difficult circumstances. It started a long, long time ago and is exactly the same today, that God wants people to live for Jesus Christ in the midst of difficult circumstances. Do you know this to be so? Doesn't God call you to live for him in the midst of difficult circumstances? And that is the essence of the gospel, the power of Christ to enable people to live for him. So Paul, one thing is that it was just an unknown idea and you would be a traitor if you talked about slavery. The other thing is the gospel is not primarily a gospel to stop slavery. It's primarily a gospel to redeem people through the message of Jesus Christ so that they would be changed from the inside out. Which leads then to another principle, and that is that the Bible consistently does not attack the symptom. It attacks the root cause. The symptom is slavery. The root cause is what? Sin. Sin. Sin that results in greed and violence and prejudice and lust and and, and enables a person to enslave another person and to think that they can actually own somebody else. The root problem is the sinful nature of man. The symptoms are things like slavery and violence and lust and all the other kind of things that the Bible sometimes attacks directly and sometimes is trying to get people to simply to understand that the heart must be changed first. The Bible doesn't attack every area of our sin. Have you noticed that? There are some things that that we do as sinners that the Bible doesn't speak directly to. And you have to look for the principles that guide us to know how to deal with this particular problem. There are life-changing, world-changing principles at work in the gospel. There are things that, that, if you will, sow the seeds of the destruction of slavery. That sow the seeds of the destruction of lust. That sow the seeds of the destruction of violence. And these are inner kind of things. God's strategies, again and again and again, is to sow spiritual seed in the heart of people that changes them from the inside out so that then they begin to get up and look around at their society and culture and world around them and say, this is evil. And we must then gather together to try to end this. But the first change that's got to happen is in the heart. And that's where Paul focuses. And when you think about the seeds that destroyed slavery, eventually, were things like God's love for all people, that equality in Jesus Christ, compassion for people, looking at someone else no matter who they are and wanting their very best, freedom in Christ, that we are one in Him. Eh-eh compassion, you know, not being full of greed to accumulate for myself, not mistreating other people. I mean, these are all gospel-oriented kinds of truths. Are you following me here? So it's those kind of things that resulted then in people rising up later. People were filled with the gospel, filled with the understanding of who God is and God's design for people who looked around and said, slavery is an evil that must be ended. And so people like John Wesley and George Whitfield and... William Wilberforce, a politician, a statesman, and kings would finally end up ending slavery in their kingdom. But God focuses on the heart. Now, one more thing I want to say to you, and then we'll look at the text, and that is that we as followers of Christ would never understand lordship if we didn't understand something of slavery. One of the reasons... That we as American Christians have such a weak view of the Lordship of Christ is we don't quite get the slave thing. Now here's what I want to ask you. Are you a slave? Are you personally a slave of Jesus Christ? Have you been bought with a price? If you are bought with a price he owns you yes or no yes. absolutely so isn't it but we don't think like that we, we think of well i'm a servant i'm paid right i mean i do it for money do you i mean that's not the gospel is it the gospel is that you are lost you are dead in your trespasses and sin and this savior gave his blood for you he bought us with a price we he owns us we call him lord and master is he you, you only begin to understand Lord and Master if you begin to understand slavery. Now, you, you say, well, slavery is evil. It's all, absolutely. I'm not arguing that. What I'm arguing for is there is a spiritual slavery. And we are slaves of the King. And one day it will be abundantly clear. Praise God, he's really a good master. Right? I mean, what, what if he wasn't? Wow. So here we are. We are slaves of our master. We are well treated by our master. But we are, we are servants and slaves. He is Lord. He, He, He actually washed their feet and gave His life and He demonstrated about what service and servanthood is about. And He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And then He calls us to this. So now I want to ask you one more time. When you contemplate this, these verses that we're about to look at and Paul talks to slaves, is He talking to you? At least in the spiritual. Praise God you're not a physical slave and owned by somebody else. Okay, now let's look at the text. All that was free introduction. To what we're now going to do. Verse five: Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Some Bible say fear and trembling. That's one of those key verses in the Word of God that talk about a submissive heart. You have it with fear and trembling. You have it isn't about it isn't abject terror that that verse is about. It's about that you look at somebody in authority and you fear compromise because of the implications, the consequences, or you just highly respect them because God has put them in authority over you, and so you have. Fear, if you will, with respect and fear for them. And then, if you have a right view of authority in your life, you see Jesus Christ right behind that authority. Which is harder for us. But we submit to all kinds of things you don't particularly like. Did you like writing that check to the IRS? When they gave you a ticket for speeding, you submitted. He had a gun, right? So you submitted... But you submit, and then you paid the fine because you're under authority. It isn't about whether you like it so much as the fact that there is an authority established by God. Does the Bible teach this? Does that mean all authority is good and right and just and fair? Oh, no. So that is not primarily the issue. So now Paul is talking to slaves and he's saying, obey your earthly masters. It helps me to look at some of the other places where Paul wrote to slaves. So I want to give these to you. We'll put them up on the screen. The first is 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Now, now before we look at it, just let me tell you one more thing is that when Paul's writing to churches, he's writing to churches that have slaves in them. So it would have been a small group. It might have been in a home or it might have been 50 people or 100 people. We don't we don't really know, but when he wrote, there would be guy sitting in a chair right there and this guy would be the master and that guy would be the slave and they would both be Christians can you imagine this like you're a slave and you found life in Jesus Christ and then you told your master and he received Christ and you both go to church together interesting dynamic isn't it that we have i mean we just can't even Imagine something like that. So when Paul wrote to these churches, and he wrote to churches again and again and again, he gave instructions to slaves and masters, and sometimes they were sitting right together in the church. And now they have this weird relationship where before one owned the other, but now they are one in Christ. And then Paul would write things like, there's no free or no slave in Christ. We're all one in Christ. And, and these people are trying to figure out now, how does this work? Because the gospel just Shatters us in some ways. Okay, so he writes to the church at Corinth. He says, each one should remain in the situation with which he was when God called him. Hmm. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Can you imagine reading, hearing that? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman or free person. Similarly, he was a free man when he was called as Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. So what is Paul teaching them there? Well, multiple things. One is he's not endorsing slavery at all. In fact, he's saying if you can get free, get free because you can, you can serve Christ better as a free person. Uh, but he's saying if you were called to Christ when you were a slave, then don't run away. Don't rebel against your master. Then you serve him. You stay in the place in which you were called And then if God can give you a better situation, then praise the Lord. But in everything you are bought with a price, you are a slave of Christ. Are you following me? So stay where you are. Don't run away. Follow Christ in the situation you are in right now. Obey your earthly masters, which is exactly what he says back here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. If you have an earthly master, remember... And did you notice the words in Ephesians 6, 5, the word earthly master? There's a little implication in that, isn't there? Not a little, there's a huge implication in that. You have an earthly master. He's your master now, but guess what? You also have a heavenly master, and we really serve him. And this heavenly master is actually sovereign over this earthly master, which is something that people have to learn. We have to learn ourselves. And so the slave is to submit to the earthly master as if they slave submit to the heavenly master. And so whatever happens to you in this world, if you are a slave and you are caught in that and trapped in that, remember this, that you have a heavenly master and he is kind and good. Meanwhile, what do we do? We follow Christ where we are. Let's look at another one. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes to Timothy. He writes to him and says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. Now, you could look at that and say, well, Paul is excusing slavery and the injustice and the unfairness and the absolute terrible circumstances of slavery. He's sort of endorsing it. He's not endorsing it. He's saying one more time that the power of the gospel has the ability in your life, even if you are a slave, to enable you to live for Jesus Christ. Paul wanted slaves to know that their life can make a difference. And remember what he's doing here in these verses? He's trying to stir up what what I call a submissive heart in followers of Jesus Christ. A submissive heart in the home, in marriage, with children, And now in the workplace, and even if you are a slave, well, this, this boggles us. You gotta work on this for a little while. Oh, gee, you know, really? Remember the little New Testament book of Philemon? The little New Testament book of Philemon is Paul's really short letter to a guy named Philemon, and there is a runaway slave, That has left Philemon and he is now, he got close to Paul and then he became a Christian and now he's, now he's assisting Paul. He's like his personal helper, if you will. He's just attached himself to Paul. Now Paul, this little letter, he's, he's sending this guy, his name is Onesimus, back to Philemon who owns him. He's sending him back to him, you know, which is the right thing to do in that time and in that culture. But then he tells Philemon, he says, don't receive him back as a slave, receive him back as a brother. Hmm. That's attacking the very root of slavery. One more, Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Paul writes, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them. That was very common in those days, Slaves, as soon as the master would turn their heads, they'd stop working, you know, and they'd steal everything they possibly could because they weren't being paid. And, I mean, you can imagine, right? Not to talk back to them, not to steal, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Submit even to your master so that the gospel will be unhindered. Hmm. This is hard for Americans. To tackle, it's difficult for us even to grasp this this culture of slavery. When you read a verse like this, let let me give you an Old Testament illustration. Remember the story of Joseph? Yeah, you know the story of Joseph, right? You know, I mean he 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 wasn't incredibly brilliant in telling his brothers all about his dreams and stuff. Well, they hated him. He got the coat of many colors. He was the father's favorite. You know, goes on and on. And so, what did they do? They sold him into what? Slavery. He became a slave. He, went, he was taken, you know, by, by camel train down to Egypt and sold as a slave. He became a slave. He became owned by other people, not because he did anything wrong. No racial kind of thing here. Simply because they could. They did it and they could. And now he's under the power of slavery. He is a slave in Egypt. A guy named Potiphar, remember, buys him. Now Potiphar owns Joseph. He is a slave. He can kill him if he wants to. Instead, Joseph serves in Potiphar's household. Do you remember the story? Joseph served so faithfully, so trustworthy, so honestly, so so wholeheartedly that after a while he rose to prominence in Potiphar's house and actually had had control of everything in Potiphar's house. Is that the story? That's you read it, you know, it's just fascinating. And then you remember what happened? Then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, you know. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. He will not betray his master and betray his God. And so he runs and then his wife, the wife accuses him and he, and then what happens to him? He's thrown into prison. Right? He goes from a slave, a free man, you know, the son of Jacob, you know, one, you know, one of the patriarchs to a slave to now in prison. And all of this is unjust, unfair, ungodly. It's wrong. He's been betrayed and he's been mistreated. And and then in prison, what does he do? Remember? He serves so faithfully in prison. He's so trustworthy that after a while, the prison warden makes him like in charge. You know, he just rises through what? Through submission and faithfulness and hard work. I hope you're beginning to get something here. And this is the man of God. And then God moves him into... the like second in charge of all of Egypt, right? And and then when he, years later, he looks back and says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, that I would be a slave and a prisoner, and the timing of God to raise him to this position. I mean, it's just an incredible story. And I want to say to you, it is an example of this, a slave becoming so faithful and obedient to his earthly master and recognizing the power of God in the midst of my hard circumstances. Do you see a principle that applies to you in any of this? That's the key, of course. Okay, let's go on. Verse 6 and 7. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. You know what that means, don't you? Right? When the boss is watching, I work hard. And when he's not, woo. Right? So it's like pleasing man rather than pleasing God. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, because Christ sees everything, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. And Paul would probably add, because you are. Because you are serving Christ and not men. The Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ... Something changes in your work habits when you realize you're not serving this boss, not serving this company, not serving this position, not serving this person, this manager, this supervisor. You're serving Christ. And guess what? When their eye's not watching you, Christ sees what you're doing. So Paul is saying, as best you can, serve wholeheartedly. What he's teaching them is that God has given to them, listen to this really carefully, influence. Through submission. Oh, if Christians, if we would understand that this is something that God puts us all in. That so many times... You know what I want? I want influence through control. I want to be in charge, right? I want to control things. But what God has done again and again in my life is just about the, every time I step away from under authority, God will bring somebody else that I'm now under. And and then you begin to realize that God gives you influence through Submission. I don't know how many times people have come to me, even even some of our kids have come to me and say, you know, this is, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get mom and dad to change their mind, or I'm trying to get my boss to change their mind or their view. Or this is not really right, you know. But I, I'm powerless. What do I do? You influence through submission, and you figure out how it is that God wants you to do that. Now there is a time to say no. When the boss or the company or the slave master says, you must do this terrible sinful thing, then you say no. And you, then you suffer the consequences, right? And, and the spiritual principle or the practical principle is found in Acts chapter 5 when the Sanhedrin brought the disciples, you know, the apostles before them and said, no more preaching about Jesus. Stop it. If you don't stop it, we'll beat you and kill you. You remember their response? We must obey God rather than men. There's, there's the principle several people have come to me over the years in our church members of our church and said i've got to quit this job i thought i thought you thought it was a good job i thought it was a really good job and then i got in there and then i realized they wanted me to lie and they wanted me to do unethical stuff and i see that this is their flawed thing and so i've got to quit and i said what will you do i i don't know i don't even have a job but i gotta quit and they quit and then they suffer for a while because they don't have another job is that the right thing to do So there is a time to say no, right? But then if you say no, if you disobey the authority over you, then you suffer the consequences. And that, too, is part of the whole thing. Paul had this staggering confidence, though, that the Spirit of God could give God's people the ability to submit under very difficult circumstances and to serve Christ in the midst of hard situations. Did you understand what I just said? That the power of the gospel gives us the ability to live for Jesus Christ under all kinds of circumstances. And my friends, people around the world know this better than we do. We're so into our own rights and our own freedom and wanting to be in control. The thing that, that pops to the surface again and again in the heart of Americans and American Christians is my rights. And then when you read this kind of stuff about from the Bible, you know, it's just... I don't know what it does, but it just—it you know, just, you know, I mean, shakes us about our rights, and we begin to realize that if I am bought with a price, if I'm if I'm owned by my master, and he says live like this, then what do I do? I must. Paul is still pursuing the submissive part, You see, at home in marriages with children, and now at work, and when we submit to the authority that God has placed over us. We are submitting to God. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying that authority is all nice or good. Sometimes it's even unjust. And that's what puts us in the very difficult circumstance of trying to figure out what we will do. But so many times, if you're like me, it's not that the authority is unjust. It's just that I don't like it. Or it rubs me wrong, or they want me to do stuff I don't really want to do. Or I mean, that's usually the problem for most. Not not always. Now, again, if you're being called to do something that's unethical, wrong, you know, illegal and stuff, then you've got a you've got a little bit more clarity. But most of the time, we just have to submit to the boss and do what he says because that's what the company said, right? And we've got to do it. And and most of us have to do all kinds of things that we don't really like particularly like to do, but we submit. And Paul is trying to give us a new motivation for our submission. He's saying to us, look, you submit because Jesus is there. Just like wives submit to their husbands because Jesus is there. And husbands, love your wives and give yourself for her. Submit to her in this incredible way of giving your whole life because Jesus is there. Children, obey your parents as to in the Lord because Jesus is there. And fathers, don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord because Jesus is there. Now slaves, Obey your masters because Jesus is there. And masters, treat your slaves rightly because Jesus is there. Are you following this? It's all about, guess what? Jesus. Fascinating, isn't it? And we are slaves of Christ. Yes? Hmm. Home? Work. Turn your note sheet over if you want. Okay, listen faster. Verse 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone, literally each one, for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. You obey your master because the Lord will reward you. Now what, Now Paul does this thing that he often did. He said, look, you got difficult circumstances. you got suffering. You have problems. It's the same thing with me. I'm suffering for the gospel. And then he does this thing like the scales. He says, i got my suffering and my difficult circumstances over here. And man, it's, ew, it's awful, and it seems so it's like going control my whole life, it's heavy. And then God says the reward that is coming, and then I see, oh, it's really like this. The reward is going to so outweigh what I have suffered that it will seem inconsequential. He would say the same thing to a slave. He would say, yes, you're being mistreated. Yes, this is unjust. Yes, it's unfair. Someday God will dispense with this. He will end it. You know, but, but you have, you're stuck in this situation. What do you do? Do you rebel and have a bitter heart and are you unforgiving or can, can you serve this master as if you were serving Jesus himself? Because you are, if you see this authority rightly. This slavery thing has not gone away either, has it? I read something just the other day. There's something like 27 million slaves in in the world today. Half of them are children. Some of you are involved in the whole sex trafficking thing because God has stirred this up in your heart. That's another form of slavery that we're trying as followers of Christ now to say this is evil and wrong and it needs to be ended. Right? So slavery continues. Why? Because evil continues in the heart. And, and then many of you have been involved in circumstances in your life, and jobs, and situations, and authority people, and family members, and dads, and 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 it was wrong. So much of what you experienced was just wrong, and you suffered, and it, you know, and it's painful. It causes bitterness, and and Paul would come to you and say, "Can you find Christ and the gospel in this? Can you see that you have a Master who sees and knows? Can you?" Can you find the power of the gospel for your own heart? For Can he enable you to persevere and to forgive? Maybe he wants you to escape from this. Maybe he doesn't. Can you trust in your your king that he knows you and knows your circumstances? And now right where you are in your, in your business life, where you work, in the company you work for, how are you serving? Are you serving wholeheartedly or only when their eyes are on you? That's really convicting, right? Ooh. Let's go on. Verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. I mean, that would, that's a radical instruction. Don't threaten slaves. I mean, what? That, that's how you got them to do what you wanted. Threaten them. We'll kill you if you don't do this. Or we'll beat you or you'll be flogged. Or, right? Treat your slaves in the same way. Treat your slaves in the same way probably has to do with the, the reference that Paul said in the verse before that do good, right? So now Paul is saying, "Look, you've got to treat slaves like you would want to be treated," right? And and masters, of course, the more that they follow Jesus Christ, and the more they get the idea, there's no slave or free. After a while, they're going to start setting slaves free. But this was that was a radical idea, and most Christian masters didn't do it. But they begin to change their behavior. He said, "Don't threaten them." So now, application. So if you are follower of Jesus Christ and you're an employee if you're a follower of Jesus does that make you a better employee if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a supervisor a boss does that being follower of Jesus Christ make you a, a better different boss different supervisor don't you think I mean if this works at home doesn't it work at work How would a slave owner be a different kind of slave owner? That's what Paul's getting at. How would a slave be a different kind of slave if he's a follower of Jesus Christ? How about you if you're an employee? What kind of an employee are you? Do you see Jesus seeing you at work? This is what this is about. Paul is saying God wants to be glorified in every part of our life, in our home, in our marriage, in our relationship with our children, and particularly he he wants to be glorified in our work and how we serve him. Okay, some takeaways. Let's do these really quickly. Some things that just I, I take away from this passage. One is, throughout history, God's people have always been called to serve him, even in great difficulties. That Read your Bible. I mean, read the faith chapter in Hebrews 11. Those people are heroes of faith because they had it really easy. No. Many of them died and suffered terribly. And they submitted to a God who they believed was in control of horrible situations. The great men and women of faith are people who lived in great difficulty and served Christ and submitted to God even though it was so hard to submit to people. Paul is saying to us, look, even if I am a slave, I can be pleasing to God. I can be rewarded by Him. Another takeaway for me is bad circumstances do not overcome what God can do. In me, and through me. I used to think that bad circumstances could get so bad that I couldn't in any way follow God. And it's like God is saying, oh, you have it so bad, I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, it's like, (laughs) good luck, you know, maybe things will improve for you, my child, one day. You think? Does any circumstance that you ever find yourself, is it too big for God? Is it? We say no. I say no. But sometimes I've felt just like controlled by circumstances. God has this long track record of enabling his people to live for him in the middle of horrible circumstances. I mean, several times the Jewish people were taken away to captivity and made slaves. And God didn't say, on your way to Babylon, you don't have to serve me anymore. Right? He said, even in the midst of this slavery, and so that's why Daniel, you know, and his three friends, and we were whoa, whoa, you know, Esther, right? She, wasn't she part of a harem? How just is that? Right? I mean, read the book. Another takeaway for me is unfairness and suffering do not control my response. Unfairness and suffering don't control my response. They, they impact me, they influence me, they attack my thinking, but I still choose. And I still seek a God who gives strength in the midst of these difficulties. Another takeaway for me is God expects me to be a willing servant, even in difficulty. He expects me to be a willing servant, even in difficulty. That God's kind of service and God's kind of humility and God's kind of submission is not dependent upon the attractiveness of my boss. It's what is it God wants to do in me. Being more like Jesus requires growing a more submissive heart. Growing... More like Jesus requires... Being more like Jesus requires growing a more submissive heart. This is what God wants for you and for me. My my friends, if, if Paul could write to slaves and tell them to submit, what would he write to you? In the circumstances you're in right now, what would he write to you? What would he say to you? Would he say escape? Would he say rebel? Would he say, demand your rights? Maybe. Sometimes, absolutely. If we're going to find justice and righteousness, we've got to stand up. But this isn't primarily about that. This is primarily about stuff that I don't kind of like. I haven't been confronted, some of you have, I haven't been confronted very much with stuff that's illegal and violent and, and horrible kind of things that are so clearly against God. What I've been confronted with is I just kind of don't want to do that. You know, and the boss says this is the way we do it. You know, we you know submit. It's about a lot. So many times, it's about a submissive heart. It's about my personal preference. And then this last one, I need to be filled with the Spirit, especially on Monday. <laughs> now, some of our staff members are here, and you're thinking, "Hey, we meet together as a staff on Monday. Is that what you mean? You really got to be filled with the Spirit on Monday because it's hard for you to meet with us." No, that's not what I meant. What I meant was. Yeah, I don't know about you, I want to be filled with the Spirit when I come to church. But I want to say to you, you really need to be filled with the Spirit when you go to work. Don't you? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. This is all week. Okay, let's pray. We'll take the Lord's Supper. Has God given you anything at all from this? You have something that He's rung your bell a little bit with? One thing. I may have like one thing that you know God wants you to do as a result of listen, listening to this and focusing on this passage. Okay. I'll pray that God will give the rest of you something. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, help us now. We pray as we make this change from focusing on this place in your word to gathering together and worshiping the Master again. We're so grateful that you're such a good Master. We're so grateful that you would. Give yourself for us. We are bought with a price. And now what we're about to do reminds us of the price you paid. That you gave your body and your blood so that you could own us, so that we could be your slaves, but even more, we could be your children. And we could be servants, and we could be beloved and changed. And that you could work in us and through us to bring change in not our, our lives but in our family's life and in the world too, that you will use us to end things like slavery and so many other injustices. Father, I want to pray for the really practical thing that each one of us need to deal with, and that is we need to submit to the authority you've placed over us and to grow a submissive heart and to serve you wholeheartedly as we serve others. Lord I pray that you'd remind us of this of this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and right now I pray that you'd help us to worship the master in gratitude for what he's done for us in the name of Jesus Christ our lord we pray amen amen